Hello, you're listening to the Breakfasts podcast for the week, the 16th of July to the 20th of July. This week, uh, Marie Cardi came by. She is the new artistic director of the Melbourne Writers Festival, told us all about the excellent program that's coming out in 2018. Yeah, it looks really cool. Uh, also, we had a chat about um, someone that moved into a house after I moved out, got in contact with me, and they had opened up some of my mail. Had a bit of a chat about that. No, it's all good. And <laughs> also, um, don't want to brag, but I but I do go to the gym at four a.m. So you did twice. Thank you. Well, yep. the, it's quite twice something. more than you. <laughs> Laura Dunneman came in this week, and she brought with her a radio play that we all performed. performed. Yes, and then we chatted to Dr. Peter Thorne, who was involved with one of the earliest computers. In the world, he's telling us all about that. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R. I got a message on Instagram the other day um, from someone that said, "Oh, hey, did you used to live at this particular address in um, North Melbourne?" And did you? Yes. Whoa. And they said... Um, oh, that doesn't sound good. Oh, I know. What have they discovered? It's, well... Some Paleolithic <laughs> bread. <laughs> uh, no, it was just that they were like, oh, I, I, I just... Um, I thought it might have been you. Just to, You used to have lots of mail come to, to the house. After oh. You, you know, she goes, I lived there about 15 years ago. Oh. Um, and, yeah, Mal used to, she must have moved in not long after I left. Um, she get all the hickey mail. Got, it's getting all the hickey mail. And then she said, I just, I have to confess that there was, um, normally it was just, you know, bills and stuff, but we always put return to sender. Um, but there was one a package that came from Reader's Digest mm. and she goes, I'm really sorry, but I opened it and it was a Muppets video. <laughs> what? And I, and I kept it and oh. I'm really sorry, I should have given it back to you, but please forgive me. And I was like, I was like oh, that's so funny. Yes, it, it, that was all me. Like it was me, I lived there and I bought the entire Muppets series <laughs> on, <laughs> and you never... on VHS. <laughs> And you never... What do you mean? Was it like a subscriber thing? Yeah. Got, oh Special offer. Oh, mate. Why? Because <laughs> I was young and I think I'd, I'm pretty sure it was the first thing I bought on a credit card and it was I was watching TV one day. It was one of those like... Oh, no. <laughs> so you said, I'm an adult, I've got my own credit card, yeah. better buy all of the Muppets movies. Was... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Nothing says adult like a collection of Muppets movies. <laughs> no, it was one of those things where... Uh, it was on like, you know, um, call now and you can buy, oh. you know. I I just, when I called, I just wanted to buy like one video, one VHS copy of like. One Muppet movie. Yeah. Muppet's Christmas or something. No, no, like it was a few episodes on a, on okay. on VHS. I just wanted to buy a couple of episodes. That'd be fun to have. Sure, why not? And then when I called up, they were like, oh, hey, it's only like. Twenty dollars a month if and to get, to get the oh my God. <laughs> if you like one, how much more will you like all of them? Yeah. How did the Muppets go for? Like oh, twenty five years. Yeah, I was gonna say you're signing yourself up to a lot of Muppets movies. Well yeah. Well so 
too much, apparently. I moved out I, <laughs> before I, I got them all. Oh, so they, they, they were coming in instalments. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. How often would you get one once a month? Yeah, something like and that. And were you excited every time the month oh, movie no, arrived? <laughs> Here's a treat, episode 35. <laughs> I was just like, oh, when will this end? Oh, and then <laughs> I'd look shit. at my credit card bill and go, oh, I've oh. made it. <laughs> huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> did you try and cancel it, or did you just were you resigned to the fact that this is what you done? Oh, I suppose yourself? I could have cancelled. I think every every month when I got a new video and a new bill on my credit card, I thought, oh, I should cancel this because I'm yeah, it was a classic cancel any time. Um, but I, it was just it was too hard. I was like, oh, I'll do that later. How many Muppets VHSs do you own now? Oh, I think they're all gone now. Like I think. I don't know what happened to them. They ended up in a box when I'm. I didn't even watch them all. No. Do you know what I mean? Like it was. I feel like you've seen. I, re- seen I bought the them five right at the probably... end of the VHS era. DVDs oh. were coming in. So when this person messaged you on Instagram, were you tempted to reclaim you? Not at all. I was. I was quite thankful that they were put to good use. <laughs> Because she was like, she said, oh, it's, I'm sorry, we watched it all the time. It was great to pull out when, you know, kids and stuff came over. So we just put on the, on the Muppets. I understand the feeling, though, of getting your first credit card and signing up Yeah, to haven't things. you guys bought something well, I, mine not would, smart? Mine would just be a really dumb gym membership that I got. Oh. So when I got my first credit card, I remember signing up to, it was one of the ladies' gyms. And it was back when it was, you cancelled and you had to pay the, you had to oh, pay it out. Fee. Yeah, you had to pay the exit fee. Oh, yeah. And I knew that I wasn't going to go to this. I just got sucked in by the, sa- the sale oh, when I was there and I signed up to have it deducted off my credit card. I went to the gym three times. Then I moved to Sydney and then I remember them calling me and I was got cry- in tears and they're going, you know, oh, we deducted the most recent thing off your credit card and it has bounced back or whatever. Like, well, you know, you need to pay you need to pay that. I remember crying and saying, I moved to Sydney and I never oh. went to the gym anyway. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, it actually looked depressing. Then they referred me to a debt collector. I was so young. I got this guy. I think I was so young. God. <laughs> and then. What a record. I know. Then I ended up paying them. I only owed them like $200 or something off the end of it, but it was referred to a debt collector. I paid it back. And then I went to apply for a small loan. Four years later, and it turns out I was on the bloody blacklist, loan blacklist, oh, no. all because of this shitty gym membership that went. I used three times. I like think, it spiraled oh. so far down into my life. You know, the Muppets don't haunt you now. That gym membership haunted me for seven years. <laughs> well, except the Muppets True. are popping up again on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I still love the Muppets. Big fan of the Muppets. Love them. Oh no, I think it's dumb all the time. My, my the other than the shoe, other than the shoe polish. I'm such a sucker for, on, for online shopping. I love it so much. What the, the way it manifests. For me, most often is I'll see a book review of some book that I've never heard of it. I'll get to the end of it. That sounds fascinating. I must get a copy of it instantly, and I'll sign up for it, and then I'll completely forget that I ever ordered it, and it'll turn up two weeks later. And I think, yeah, that's a bonus. I don't even know what this it's is. A surprise <laughs> why, gift. Why, why, why? Why? I have this book? You and need I'll, you need to send them to yourself. Like past Jeff needs to send future Jeff a little message with every book. Like yeah. surprise, you worked so hard. This will do you good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Gotta say, feeling um, particularly smug today. Smug. Oh, are yeah. you? Yep. Did you know that it's two days in a row 
that I've been to the gym before coming to work. Oh, my God. Yep. Don't want to brag, but I will because so, um, there is time to chat about this. Shower hasn't been fixed then. No, definitely <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So how are you finding it? Are you extra tired later in the day? Uh, I had a big nap yesterday. Did you? Yeah. But I feel like maybe is it fine just to sleep for four hours and then <laughs> get through the half the day and then sleep for another four hours? What do you mean you only slept for four hours last night? Yeah. You went oh. to bed at midnight. Oh, no, I got up at, okay, slept maybe five hours. Wow. I got up, so I get up at um, 3, three, three 3.45. Christ, that's so I know, it's the three, small. isn't it? It's the three. It's the three. That's, that's. That's, that's pushing a new limit. I yeah. I feel like you can adapt to four, but three is... Three is you're basically living on another planet. Yeah. yeah three, but it's 3.45, so it's close to four. Still, uh, w- why don't you go to bed earlier? What <laughs> 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 stuff on, mate. <laughs> that's so thing. No, I didn't go, no, I didn't go to bed at midnight. Sorry. I went to bed at like um, 10.30 or something. Oh. Um, but I did nap for like four hours yesterday. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was like it's three a long, hours. I don't know if it's a nap. I don't know if anything over an hour can be considered well, a nap. Is, well, yeah, this, you might just sleep. Big sleep and a little sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Is it all right to go, you know? Well, whatever works for you. We'll see how long yeah. this lasts. And also whatever works for the other people around you. Yeah. <laughs> who maybe might find it difficult to have you sleep most of the day. Well, like who? No one's around. The dogs. <laughs> yeah, the dogs love it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they get to sleep sleep as well. Uh, but it's, I've, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. You, look, I don't want to call you out in public, mm. but you did say to me as we were walking to the car the other day, I cheat so much at the gym. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do so much and I, cheating. And I was like, what do you mean you cheat at the gym? Yeah. The only person you're cheating is yourself because there's no one around. So explain the cheating. Are you still cheating in the mornings or are you cheating more or less? Do you know what? This morning I did um, a little bit more. So I, oh. I did the opposite of cheating. I Maybe. put in, oh, extra I put in effort. some extra effort, yeah. But I – like cheating – like I, I've got my um, – Plan my um, sheet, you know, routine. What do you yeah. call it? Ske- uh, Schedule. Yeah. Oh, routine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, routine. Program. Program. That's the word I'm looking Jesus. for. I've got, my, I've got my program. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, it'll be like, you know, you have to like lift this twelve times and 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 do something else. And some of them, I just skip. I go, I can't do that. I'm not doing that today. I'm here. That's enough. Do you, I'll go do you on fill to the them in on the program like. and pretend that you did them, or do you just skip to the next one? I just skip to the next one. Like sometimes it's like like um, planking, like plank pull ups. Oh, hate them. So I'll just plank I might pull, what a plank pull up. So you do um, like you're in the plank position. Yeah. So you've got your arms there, and then you've got to get up into the um, oh. into like the crocodile w- position. Sure, or <laughs> doing some sign language, but get into the like you're about to do a push up, and then go back down. Oh my god, and that's al- very hard. And alternate arms. So when you cheat on that one, do you just do one, or you just don't do any at all? Oh, I just do a plank for thirty seconds. <laughs> Plank's good though, but I, you're quite strong. Oh, you're making me think I need to go and do weights because I'm so weak. Well, do you, you can come do weights with me. Yeah, do a bit of planking. Do you reckon that? I'd, my, my I think I'd be really good. Um, I'd love to have someone to go to the gym with, so I'd feel really good about having someone go. Right, come on, you can do so this. Just set and your then your alarm clock cheat. for three three thirty a.m. <laughs> the thing is, I live in I live in Coburg, so it'd be. I'll come. I'll come to so your gym. Okay. When you, when you do your cheating, do you get worried that? 
you're going to be caught out because that, that happens to me all the time. Yeah, when I share to the gym, I worry that one of the really professional types. No, they're not looking at you. They're looking at themselves in the mirror. <laughs> in, in particular, the ones I worry about is the people on the front desk. Like, because the way I cheat. They already judge you. Yeah. <laughs> the way I cheat mostly is I go in there and about 15 minutes into it, I think, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And I just go home. But then I always get worried that they'll see me walking out again 15 minutes after I came in. And then I'll think. Do you know what? I, so what I do mm. is I pretend to get a, an urgent phone call, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I race out of the gym, talking on my phone like like I'm some brain surgeon that's just been called into the operating theatre. Come at once, Jeff. No time to wait. But they don't. I don't think they. I care. don't think they care at all. <laughs> I I, I really don't. My um, per- personal trainer, I saw a personal trainer who gave me this program yeah. and she she's the one that gave me permission to cheat. And I, oh. I don't think she really? you know, would say cheat. She just said, listen, the best thing, the most important thing is that you're here. If you feel like you don't want to do like three reps, then just do two. Do you think you're abusing that a little bit? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I'm abusing it a lot, and I, I know that it will come time. It will come back around when there are there'll be no results happening. Oh yeah, because you have to get what do they do? Measure you? Like what happened? Oh no, they didn't do that. But you know, it'll get to the stage where you know she's like, we'll reassess it later how it's all going. Oh, yeah, and it'll just get to the stage where it's like, well, you know, oh, it doesn't seem to be doing much, and she'll be, <laughs> well, how much are you actually? Doing it, and, and then be you'll like, be able to say, "But you said." said well, <laughs> then I'll go. Yeah, fair enough. But right now, two mornings in a row going to the gym. I'm super proud. That is yeah. that is a really. I could not do that, and I just I feel smug and clean. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R. The Melbourne Writers' Festival is on again from the 24th of August to the 2nd of September. The full program has just been unveiled on mwf.com.au. But to tell us all about it, we're joined by the festival director and Triple R alumni, Marie <laughs> Hardy. Welcome yeah. back to Breakfast. Welcome back to this studio that I was not normally in. <laughs> I got a little bit confused today. This is my first... This is my first like media thing after launching the program. Oh, thanks. That's mate. really ex- thank you. Oh, we'll, we'll it's really go exciting. Easy on you. Oh yeah, I know. Don't yeah, don't give me the hard hitting John Laws stuff. I won't be able to take it. <laughs> uh, you were announced as the new director last year. What yes. went through your head when you took on the role? Did you swear already- words? <laughs> lots and lots well, of I did swear wonder words. About that. Did you have a particular idea? What in- have I done with my life? Yes, yeah, so, yeah. I have. Look, I I mean the recruitment process was threefold, and one point uh, I sat with the board and sort of said, I'm not interested in making a conventional writers' festival. So if that's what you want, that's absolutely fine, but that is not what I would make. I've spent the last few years working in live art and immersive theatre and making things without my name on it, which has been really nice because I think the Australian media pool is very small and I grew up very much in the public eye with, you know, op-eds and the book club and Mm. Triple J. And to spend a few years going, well, I'm going to make things and no one needs to know I'm making them and no one will have a pre-existing idea of who is making them because they tend to go, I know who you are and what you make, so therefore I will come with a preconceived notion. So I got to sort of develop my practice, as it were. I got the Sydney Meyer Fellowship in 2015, which supported a lot of that stuff. And so... Being able to move into the kook art realm a little bit and develop that, I said, well, that's what I'm going to bring to the festival. So if you don't want that, don't hire me. And they 
hired me. So it's on them, really. Yeah. In the age day, you're quoted as promising a more festive festival. Hell yeah. And, uh, well, the obvious example of that is the uh, opening night of Andrew oh, WK. No. What do you have in mind there? Yeah. What's well, going Everyone's heart's exploding like <laughs> glitter cannons onto the floor <laughs> of the Melbourne Museum. I mean, Andrew WK, that's one of those things. You know, it's my first ever festival and I'm like, how do you – he's – he is the ultimate joy coach. And the theme of this year's festival is a matter of life and death. And opening night is called You Are Here. It's at Melbourne Museum. It's got Andrew WK and Mojo Juju and Sisters Alexander hosting and the Shout Choir, which is uh, Melbourne's Gay and Lesbian Youth Chorus. And it's all about kind of celebration and joy and survival and resilience. And closing night is You Are There and it's about love and loss and letting go. And it's all these amazing women talking about something they've loved and lost and let go, which is um, Ali Cobby Eckerman, Sophie Cunningham, Maria Tamarkin, and Mariam Issa, Jesse Cole, and then Megan Washington playing. So it's kind of like these, you know, lovely bookends, as it were, <laughs> as we say, um, for the festival. But I just thought, you know, who is this kind of, who's this big joy explosion, a big walking kind of party positive person? And, and then he said, yes. It's one of those things you just get the email. It's like, yes, Andrew, would love to do your festival. And then lots of swears. Lots and yeah. lots of swears. It's so, yeah, that, I'm really excited about that. And also what I've been trying to expand the festival this year when I say Kookfest, I mean, there's lots of traditional in conversations about books and it's all about books and writing and ideas, but I'm trying to expand it to songwriting, screenwriting, playwriting, performers. So we've got a whole theatre stream where people can go and see like a one-hour performance by Maxine Beniba-Clark or First Dog on the Moon, but then they can go and see it in conversation with that performer about their writing process. So whenever we kind of expand that realm of performance, you can also tie it back to what the writing is. You've also got a lot of musicians as well. I know, it's crazy, I isn't know. it? What's that all about? <laughs> Including Nico Case, Jimmy Barnes, oh, Steve Kilby. I'm so excited about Nico Case. Do you want to know what's awesome about Nico Case? So she's doing it in conversation with Alice Keith, which is great, but we're doing this series of tiny book clubs because, you know, I did a book club for 11 years and my ideas pool is very small. And um, But it's like a book club for an author and 20 people and the author gets to pick their favourite book and Irvine Welsh is doing one, Adam Liao's doing one, Nico Case is doing one and she's picked Watership Down. <gasps> that is so rad. So you can sit like 20 people and drink wine and have cheese with Nico Case and talk about Watership Down. I'm in. Which How? is like a dream oh. I had once, I'm sure. Did you, well, why did you, why did you want to bring music into this as well? Is that just part of re-examining what writing is? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Excuse me, I'm eating my own hair. It's part of the performative <laughs> aspect. Um, and we've worked with APRA and beautiful Helen Marku from Bakehouse Studios to have this whole stream. And the, uh, the premise is a more established singer-songwriter, I guess introducing a newer singer-songwriter. They both perform and then they talk to each other about their songwriting practice. So Glenn Rich is, is doing it with Ainsley Wills. Kate Sobrano is doing it with Kate. Jen Chloe is doing it with Miss Blanks. And it's so great because you connect them and how they're all dealing with it. Some of them are going, let's get a rehearsal studio and do it, do <laughs> duets and other people are performing separately and that one's going to be amazing too. And that's what I'm hoping that the audience who are really accustomed to Melbourne Writers Festival will still go, there's, you know, my Bob Carr and Barry Jones in conversation at Deacon Edge and then I'll walk out of there and maybe I'll go see some music, maybe I'll go see some theatre, maybe I'll go... I'm building an animal church, did I tell you that? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear about this. Yeah, this yeah. Is... that's up there with Andrew WK for my excitement levels. <laughs> Please tell us about the animal church. I would love to tell you about the animal church. So I always had this idea to make an installation space for loved and lost animals where, you know, you get space to reflect on the beautiful animals in your lives and... 
you, you get to bring a photo or a trinket like a chewed up tennis ball or a collar and over the course of the week it expands to this beautiful kind of living, you know, monument to all the loved and lost animals. And then I thought, well, you know, now I run a bloody festival, I'll just make it. And it's going to be a talks venue and we're doing five days of animal-related talks programming wow. in there. There's like sessions on... Tony Birch is doing something about dogs. There's a snake session. There's um, a bat performance. We've got Kutsay doing a lecture. Raymond Gate is doing a lecture. There's a pet meditation with a pet psychic. Henry, oh <laughs> Henry, Wag- Henry Waggins is doing an animal-related sing-along. That's the last thing is this big animal goodbye sing-along in the animal church. Got the so. essential equine about horses. Yes, yes yeah. I do. Oh, God, I thought yeah. you just were, were a horse person. And do you know what is amazing? Not that it's a competition between the right but you connect all the people in the panel and the event and you mm. go, here you all are, Godspeed, let's chat. The horse people are nuts. They're all sending each other pictures of this is my horse, Blackie. Well, this is my horse, Columbine. Wow. Oh, that's a fine horse. This yeah. is my... Not that the dog and snake and cat people, it's not a yeah. competition, but the no, horse my, people are gone bananas. Yeah, my partner is a horse person, so <laughs> can relate, understand. It's quite specific. Uh, They're mm. really excited, the horse people. So, yeah, yeah that's going to be a great panel. I'm also struck by the way you're using some of the familiar names in kind of unconventional ways. So you've got Tim Winton, yeah. but in conversation with Judith Lucy, which is maybe not a pairing people would have expected. No, and that's a bit... I mean, I've been a writer on Writers' Festival circuits and I know exactly what it is and I know what the premise is. You go and you meet the Radio National journalist and they do a Q&A with you about your book and and I just, I don't want writers to have that, I mean they have that everywhere. Tim Winton asked to speak to Judith Lucy and I'm like, hell yeah, yeah. you know, and I we've often gone to writers and said, who do, you, who do you want to talk to? Who would you like to be in conversation with? Who would you feel comfortable with? Because that's a more interesting conversation. We've got a whole um, stream called How I Survived as well, which is about two friends who have helped each other survive something. And that's Anna Crean and Ben Law are doing that and Nayuka Gori and Nakia Louie. And so they're all speaking together, just the two of them, which, again, that's a more human thing. Like, I'd rather see two friends and two artists engage together than someone with a Q&A on a clipboard. Uh, you mentioned Andrew WK, but is yes, there any other particular guest that you're really proud of having lured to Melbourne, maybe someone unexpected? Yeah, or? yeah absolutely. I mean, we, um, Ronan Farrow and Tanahasi Coates are pretty amazing and we're really excited about that. But, you know, I guess I come from a bit of a kook background. Chris Fleming, the comedian, I'm really oh, excited. Yes. He's going to do his first ever stand-up show in Australia at our festival and then be in conversation with Zoe Norton Lodge about He's his... He's that nerdy guy on YouTube that does all the... sexy guy. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does Gail on YouTube and I'm Afraid to Talk to Men yeah. and I think that's going to be really exciting and bring in a really different audience for Melbourne Writers' Festival. And Johnny Sun, who is this kind of Canadian humorous graphic... He's written this graphic novel called Everyone's an Alien When You're an Alien Too and he's sort of this, I guess, Twitter motivational, warm, joyous person, which again is a big thread for me in the festival. He has just co-written a book with Lin-Manuel Miranda and that's going to come out in October. He was listed as one of Time's top 25 influential people on the internet and he's really left of centre in terms of, you know, writing. And But I think he's going to bring this beautiful energy and he's just wonderful. If I go along to the Writers' Festival and I haven't been before yeah. and I go and see a couple of events, what, what do you want me to leave feeling? I want you to get a tattoo 
Oh. We've got literary tattoos. Really? Yeah. For so real tattoos? For or real? Fakies? No, for real <gasps> tattoos. So, you know, Mission to Seafarers down the bottom of Wurundjeri Way? Yes. That's a festival space this year, which I huh. am so excited about because all these Melburnians know it, but they've never been inside. It's yeah. awesome in there. It's so awesome. Yeah. So, we're using the chapel with the boat pulpit. It's got a pulpit shaped like a boat. There's the nautical themed bar, which we've got like Bob Murphy in conversation with Will Anderson, and we've got a dance class, and you can sketch Bob Carr down there or oh. Brendan McLean. <laughs> and in the bit, who doesn't want to sketch Bob Carr? And um, and then there's the big dome, which is where the old seafarers used to um, exercise. So they've got the gymnasium hoops oh. at the top. And that's where Les Rice, who won the Doug Moran Portrait Prize twice, LDF tattoos are doing both weekends of the festival. You can come and get a literary tattoo. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And then you can have a nip of whiskey, but after the tattoo, not before, because we're very responsible. I feel like this is right up your alley. I, I got a tattoo once. What, what <laughs> of? A, a, a whale. <laughs> nice. A bit unprepared. Just we're doing so a whale I'd... session in the animal church. There you go. Love it. I just I got a tattoo just so we'd have something to talk about on the radio. <laughs> oh, that's very. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's yeah. really going to town for your research. Yeah, it's God, it's only a fifteen-minute segment. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, what are you going to get as a literary Who knows tattoo? Yeah. Happen. I uh, thought any like Vonnegut, you know, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt is a very strong, ooh. small literary tattoo. The little I'll, gravestone. I'll bear that in mind. How would you like? Um, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff tried to bypass from the tattoo there. <laughs> How would you like the festival to be assessed? Afterwards, I mean, I've, always, I've kind of wondered about this, like there's a temptation for these things just always to be talked about into whether they were bigger than the, the previous ones. But do you have sort of different criteria in terms of the conversations that it starts? Or Yeah, absolutely. I want people to be empathetic. You know, I mean, the theme of the festival is a matter of life and death. I mean, it's not a matter of life and death. It's an arts festival. There are people in the festival who experience actual matters of life and death, which is, I mean, we've got Bruce Bruchani is doing um, a conversation live from Manus. I mean, there are people there who are experiencing real aspects of survival. And, uh, you know, I really like that human experience. That's why kind of like we're all in this together. We're all trying really hard and it is really hard. And sometimes books help us survive. Sometimes conversation helps us survive. But I'm a big believer in kind of listening and kindness. So I'm, I'm not kind of interested in going, look at all the shiny celebrities. I'm sort of more interested in going, look at us all in here together, thrashing about. It's tough. Let's have a little cuddle. Excellent. On that note, uh, the full program. Yeah, on that up. note, you want to have a cuddle? Yeah. Sure. Okay. That's exactly what I was going to wow. say. I thought so. All these biggest fears in life being yeah. touched and tattooed. Yeah, great. I'm here. Yeah. This is why I'm here to break down your fears, Jeff. Uh, the full program's up at mwf.com.au. Better jump on there because I'm sure some of these will sell out pretty quickly. We've been talking to the Melbourne Writers Festival Festival Director, Murray Carty. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> Friday Funny Bucket here on Breakfasters and you've already heard Laura Dunneman because Hello. she's singing along with her theme. Yes, isn't that lovely? It the is. Thief, the thief, Laura Dunneman, by the way. What did I do? Well, what's in your bag? Oh, yeah, I, um, I accidentally took home one of those buzzers that you get in cafes that buzzes when your food's ready and I was in a cafe yesterday and then um, pocketed it. It was in my pocket at home. <laughs> I was just showing everybody. Anyway, yes, thief. Un- 
Anyway, but you're going to return unintentional it. thief, and I'll sure. go back and I'll return it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Anyway, hello everybody. Hello. End of the week. It's yes. Great. Excited. Feeling good. Mm. Oh, nice one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've. What I'm going to talk about today is something that's been in the news this week, because Mr. Trump went and met with the Queen. Oh. Ah, this must have been conflicting for you. <laughs> Well, yes, yeah, in a way, because I really don't like Trump, and but you love the queen. I love the queen. Yes, um, you are our official royal correspondent. Thank you. <laughs> Self-titled as well. <laughs> I am the triple R uh, royal correspondent. Uh, <laughs> Coming to you live from London. <laughs> um, but they did meet up this week. And have you ever heard of the term brooch trolling? I have now. Did you? You've heard about this? Yes, I read this. Did you guys hear about no. how the oh. queen brooch trolled Trump? Trump? I no. did see the headline, but I didn't okay. actually read it. So she brooch trolled him. Oh. I don't even know what that is. Are you angry? (laughs) She wore, when she met with him, she wore a brooch that Barack Obama gave her. And they met with each other. They actually met with each other three separate times. On the main time, the first time that they met, um, she wore the Barack Obama one. And Barack Obama, like, personally bought it as a personal gift to her. And then the second time, she wore an. brooch that she got from a Canadian pres- uh, Prime Minister. Hello. Yeah, and, you know, Trump hates Canada. Mm. And then the third one is a brooch that she traditionally wears to funerals when she's in mourning. <gasps> no mm-hmm. Lizzie. Lizzie, I know. Isn't that <laughs> spectacular? Isn't that spectacular? Uh, no, it's so and good. people are saying there's no way it was a coincidence. There is no fully, way. No yeah, way. Yeah, and it's just a very subtle. But also he did, he did a few protocol things that were a bit out of step, like he walked in front of her. He just stormed uh, off. He didn't just walk in front of her. He's, He's kind yes, of just storming, storming along. And she's... I mean, that, that was a funny gift, though. Of oh, him, oh, was it? I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah, of him walking in and then him stopping and realising that she's behind. and He would walk in front of people all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, you don't walk in front of Lizzie, though, because she'll oh. get another brooch. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a whole drawer of brooches she can try oh, The idea of her looking at those brooches. <laughs> Which, oh. I just love the I just love the three. It was just so cutting. I loved yeah. it. Anyway. Oh, also, he said, because they went and it was when he was walking in front of her, they were in- inspecting her guard and he came back to America and said that, you know, it was a great visit and he had a great time and, you know, he was very honoured. She inspected her guard with him for the first time in 70 years and she, like, inspects her guard. I'm like, sorry, what does inspecting her guard like she, mean? It's when she walks up and down in front of the soldiers. Oh, okay. I don't know exactly what she's doing, but it's when you see inspecting. her walking up and down in does front she, of does them. Does she ever say... Oh, Polish this one's no shoes. good. You know, like stop in front of one and mm. point at them. I wonder if she does. Or no, they wouldn't. They'd know. You don't get in front of the coin with, without polishing She'll the get the brooch out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet she's got a brooch that spurts out poison or something or acid. <laughs> <laughs> Look into my brooch. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> the only part of the visit that we really don't know about is you know, their private conversations. No. Mm. What did they talk about, you know, yeah. when oh, yeah. they were, when it was just them, right? Who knows? So I have decided to clear up the myth 
That's why you're royal correspondent. Exactly. By writing a short play. (laughs) A short radio play, as it would be. Well, it's a radio play because we're going to be doing it on the radio, but nothing else about it, really. I'll try and put in some sound effects, I guess. And I have just emailed it to all of you, so you've got it up, and we're going to be reading it out, And that's okay with everybody. This is the first (laughs) time that each one of us has read this, other than Laura. Yeah, I deliberately made sure that I just sent it to you then. So who's playing what role? Well, you guys can choose. Let me just say no, the title. Can you of, allocate? Yeah. Sure. I think it's oh, better. okay. Sure. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. So the title of the play is If These Walls Could Talk. Oh, so evocative. <laughs> A short play by Laura Donovan. <laughs> I'll be playing the role. <laughs> you actually wrote that in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I'll use this. That's there. I'll use this. Not just on the radio. I might develop this into something sure, bigger, you know. Cinematic potential. Exactly. I'll naturally be playing the role of narrator. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got three roles. We've got the Queen, we've got Trump, and we've got Nameless Servant. Okay. I mean, Anyone want to put their hand up for Nameless Servant? No, you servant? allocate. You allocate. I know what I want, but, yeah. I, but you it's allocate. Not, it's never uh, in well, democracy. This is like drama I'm not going to go with typical gender um, roles, mm. so... You, Jeff Sparrow, are Lizzie, the Queen. Sure. Well, All right. That seems so fitting. Good because he's, he's such a okay. good actor. And only, because, <laughs> <laughs> and only because, Sarah, you have to focus on the buttons soon yeah. for doing radio, you can be nameless servant. Oh, because, shit. Oh, did you want to be? Oh, you can be Trump. Nah. Don't. Uh, nah, I'm taking it. Nameless servant is fine. I, I had a feeling you wanted a smaller role. Oh, you don't know me very well. <laughs> no, it's all right. Nameless servant is good. I'll okay, take that. Okay, you can be nameless servant. And Jezza, you are President Trump. Y- yes. Okay, <laughs> let's just do a quick... Um, it, the play only goes for like one minute, literally. Mm-hmm. Let's just do a quick check of how you're going to do your voice. Because remember, President Trump, he has a very piggy voice. It's not just American. It's, he's a real like high-pitched piggy voice. Can you give us an example of what you're after? Oh, hi. <laughs> Ronald Reagan? <laughs> I'm, I'm Dick President Tracy? Trump and everybody hates me. All right. Like that. Oh, what about, hi. I'm President Trump. Yeah, that's, that's good. great. That's good. And what about you, Jeff, for the Queen? <laughs> Toffee. <laughs> Greetings, subjects. Fantastic. That was Beautiful. really good. Sarah, nameless servant. Hello, I'm the nameless servant. That's so good. I love that. It's awesome. Cock, 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 cock. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm hoping you do cock. Oh, where are you good? That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, let's get started. Narrator. <clears throat> it's a sunny, slightly humid day in London. The Queen, however, is lying in bed watching season two of The Crown on Netflix whilst eating a packet of Doritos. She still has her makeup on from last night. One of her nameless servants enters. Hello, nameless servant. What is it you want? I told the household I'd be binging today. (laughs) Ma'am, you have the day wrong. Today is the day you are meeting with President Trump. You are due to binge tomorrow, Your Highness. Oh, bugger off. I haven't even eaten all of the unbroken Doritos yet. But, Your Majesty, President Trump and the First Lady are downstairs in the meeting room as we speak. Oh, crap. All right. (laughs) Get me some gin. I'll be down soon. I just realised Jeff likes gin. I do. Please get me some gin. Jeff likes gin and so does the Queen. (laughs) Okay, change of scene. How are we going so far? Great. 
Don't know how everyone listening is going, but anyway, <laughs> just focusing on what's going on in this room. Narrator, we cut to the meeting room in Buckingham Palace. Donald Trump and Melania are walking around looking at framed photos and silverware while they wait for the Queen. Donald takes a piece of chewing gum out of his mouth and places it behind a framed photo of Harry and Meghan's recent royal wedding. The Queen and the nameless servant enter. Oi, Donald. Get that bit of gum out from behind that frame, you low dog. <laughs> <laughs> Your Majesty, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't <laughs> like the chewing Jody, gum. Jody, you've got that ochre that Australian is- accent and all you're doing is pinching your nose. That's President Trump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going. You lying idiot. I saw you take that chewing gum out of your mouth and put it on that photo of my Harry. Harry? My Harry. I can't decide. You keep dropping the H's. I can't decide whether it's toffee oh, or... Oh, yeah, co- sorry. Toffee. Can't, can't work under these I was conditions. thinking that the Queen might be cockney as well, but I actually really like your version. And his new bride, Megan. All right, let's get this done with then, shall we? Would you like a cup of tea? Personally, I'm having gin, but I need to be drunk for oh, this. Such a harsh coin. You'll She's drink- not. It's so intense. <laughs> You'll drink tea, Yeah. The, the Queen actually does drink a lot of gin, yes. factually. That's a fact. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes, thank you, Your Highness. <laughs> oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> All right, I'll stop pinching my nose. Uh, <clears throat> yes, thank you, Your Highness. I would love a cup of tea. Great, that's really good. <laughs> you heard him, nameless servant. Get him a tea and spruce up my gin. Yeah. <laughs> Why is the Queen's Okay, this is the next line. Why is the Queen's The next angry? line is the line that I was the most proud of. Uh, oh, actually, I didn't say that right. When I said I would like a cup of tea, what I actually meant was I wouldn't like a cup of tea. Get, get it right, you twit. Did you guys get that? Yes. Yeah, nice, nicely done. This, this story's ripped from the headlines. Oh, I love it. Okay, narrator. The Queen throws her glass of gin in Donald's face. It becomes clear that she's had a bit too much. Your Majesty, I think you might have had a bit too much. <laughs> I know I'm extremely corrupt and painful to be around, plus my wife hasn't spoken this whole time, but you have cheese powder on your fingers and a hair roller still in. That's right. I wouldn't take my hair rollers out or wash my hands for you any day. When Barack Obama visited me, we got sloshed and ate Doritos. Now you just sound like Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) You do just sound like Jeff. It's the last line. Get through it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a half-eaten packet waiting for me upstairs. I haven't even gotten to the broken courtships yet. Good day, Mr. Trump. I suggest you go find your wife. I think she's over there in the corner with my nameless servant. I'm out, suckers. <laughs> the end. What do we think? Do we think it's <laughs> Do we think it's A Do we think it's A um maybe a possible a contender for like a Helpman Award oh, definitely. if we put it into production this time next year? Mm. And B, is it is it factually correct, do you think? I think so. Well, Absolutely. Exactly do you know what happened. it needs? Um just an extra character. Mm. Stacey the ghost. Oh, uh, you like Stacey the ghost. Stacey the Do you ghost. want me to bring Stacey the ghost out before we go? Yes, yeah. you please. guys heard Stacey the no. ghost. Stacey the ghost is a friend of mine and she haunts me. <laughs> I'll just see if she's... Stacey, you there? Hello. How is everybody? I'm Stacey the ghost. I've come here to Chippenaw today to haunt you all. I love following people around, haunting them all day. I died in 1956, actually. 
Anyway, the the name was it's seven fifty-seven. You've got to do the news soon. Love you, Sarah. Love you, Jeff. Bye, Geraldine. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R. A new exhibition opened up at ScienceWorks yesterday called Think Ahead, inviting you to imagine how advances in science will change the way we live. But as part of that, ScienceWorks has just unveiled a new permanent item in its collection, CYRAC, Australia's first supercomputer. To tell us all about it, we're joined by Dr Peter Thorne, who worked with CYRAC at the University of Melbourne in the 1960s. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Love to have you. Sorry, I just forward announced you as being from Syrac, and that was wrong. I, my brain's not working. Anyway, let's, let's, but let's talk about Syrac, the the fourth computer in the world. Who bought it? Who built it? And for what purpose? Right. Well, it was quite an amazing story. It was built in Sydney by CSIRO, uh, and uh, CSIRO had a, a lot of expertise in radar during the war, and a brilliant scientist from England, Trevor Pearcey, arrived right after the war and said, we've got to build a computer. And uh, there was no computer working in the world, no programmable computer working in the world at that time. This is the late 1940s? Uh, This is middle 1940s. He arrived here at the end of 1945. And by... So they they got to work and um, ultimately they built what was about the fourth computer in the world and uh, the first computer in the world to play, play music and uh, quite an amazing because uh, feat because in those days you travelled by sea and, you know, you communicated by letter and uh, it was all done down here. Okay, so give us a sense of what, did it, what does it look like? How did you program it? Presumably it doesn't have a keyboard or a screen no. or any of those things we associate with computers <laughs> no, today. No, they, they started off trying to use punched cards, which were later used in, in computers and been used before this on old office equipment. Didn't work very well. So they programmed it with paper tape, and the paper tape was like a punch card but many, many feet long. So it's a wide paper tape, a bit like a narrow pianola roll, and you punched that on a thing a bit like a typewriter and fed it into the computer. The computer then ground away, and if you're lucky, it typed out an answer. But quite slowly by today's comparison with today's computers, um, over a million times slower than your iPhone or um, your, your laptop, uh, but it was the wonder of the age. I mean, people used it for building, uh, designing buildings, for designing the Victorian power network. It did some of the world's first weather forecasting, computer weather oh. forecasting, and uh, played games. We played computer games. Okay, so what were the? These must be really super early computer games. What were they like? Well, one of them was pretty smart. I, I think, I think it was still a pretty smart game. It, the computer guessed what you were going to do next. Oh. Um, so you had to switch, and it, well, you could it could be up or down, okay, on or off. And so uh, you put it on, say, and the computer then did a guess what you were going to do next. And you had to think whether the computer was matching the pattern of what you're doing for the last few switches, and say, oh, I'll change this time, or I won't change this time. And it, well, some people were extremely good at this and would trick the computer. But others, the computer would just say, oh, well, I've, you know, he's done three ons and two offs. Well, I reckon next time we'll probably have another go at an on. So it was a guessing game between you and the computer. I guess it was right half the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> well, on average. But in, but in fact, uh, because the fellow who designed it um, 
was uh, a person also doing weather forecasting, he was looking at pattern matching. So he would try and work the pattern of what you've done before and try and get a model. I mean, look, this is all done in very, very small mm. space, in memory space. Try and have a model of what to, a predictive model of what was going to happen next. And uh, uh, it was quite notable, noticeable that some people were far better at outwitting the computer than others <laughs> and the rest of us, well, it just seemed to know what we can do next. As you said, he did um, program music as well. I've mm. got a little piece to play yes. that we'll provide it with. Yes. Sound dissimilar to some music that you <laughs> might hear today. That's so, Triple R album of the week. <laughs> how did that come about? Well, what uh, when, when they built the computer, um, this computer, of course, used pulses, electric pulses, which and it, it was a, a serial computer, so it just had one line of pulses going here and one line going there. And at, at the end of one of the lines, they put a loudspeaker. And the original idea was that. You could get a beep out of that to say the program's running or not running, just a just a beep, just a, like an alarm. And, of course, computing people in those days were pretty smart but also pretty imaginative and also interested in music, as they still are. And uh, so uh, a fellow by the name of Jeff Hill uh, in Sydney um, programmed it and one of the stories was that... Um, Robert Menzies, Sir Robert Menzies, was going to come and see the computer and they realised he had a Scottish background. So Jeff rang his wife and said, what music would he like to hear? And she hummed something over the over the, <laughs> over the telephone. I think he banks and braids. And so he programmed it for Robert Menzies. Anyway, it turns out it was the first computer music. And of course, the computer doesn't work anymore, and we wouldn't want to try and make it work because we'd have to change. We'd have to update so much of it to, for occupational health and safety reasons yeah. that it wouldn't be original, and it is original, and that's amazing. So, uh, however, a fellow by the name of Paul Dornbush, who's a modern composer and also a, a, an academic in computing world, uh, and the engineer, the old engineers, worked out a way of reconstructing this music, even though the computer doesn't work by... and oh, wow. um, and, ah. uh, uh, and it's now recognised as the first computer music um, ever. That's so cool. It's the birth of multimedia. <laughs> so when you were working on this, did it seem exciting? Like this was a new thing. There's only four of them in the world. Did you have a sense that you were pushing frontiers? Absolutely. And I remember Trevor Piercy was the brain, well, the logic designer, the, the conceptual designer of this machine. Um, and uh, we still, in fact, have a, an organisation known as the Piercy Foundation, which gives the main awards in Australia for ICT excellence every year, named after him. But And Trevor was a, a, a very imaginative fellow, and I remember discussing with him uh, how big a computer, and those are the days of valve computers, would have to be to emulate the human brain. I mean, we'd had those kind of discussions back then. I think we decided to be about as big as some um, Greater Melbourne wow. <laughs> oh. I mean, at that time because, you know, I mean, this thing was built with valves which, uh, you know, like the, the old things that glowed in radio sets like, like light globes, yeah. 2,000 of them. Which is why it used a lot of uh, a lot of electrical power and uh, generated a lot of heat. So uh, 
Uh, and it was built and operated just about the time the transistor was invented. And so in the next generations of computers, of course, they were transistorized, which are more compact, and then they transistors got to, uh, made into integrated circuits, small and smaller. So nowadays you can get a huge amount of storage on, um, mm. compared with one of these vacuum tubes. I mean, a whole computer these days is smaller than one of those 2,000 bells in the computer. When you were working on this all those years ago, did you ever imagine that, you know, you could essentially hold a smartphone in your hand and, you know, like in no. your lifetime, like it, no, this no, is Gerald. all happened? No, <laughs> uh, in fact, the remarkable thing is that those of us who saw this from the beginning are more astounded by what happens today than younger people. I mean, people mm. say, oh, well, computers always look like this. Not to us. I mean, the, mm. the, the thought that you can you can go to your local convenience store and buy something that holds gigabytes of storage that you know on a, on a little thumb drive is just mind blowing to us because yeah, yeah. Uh, we looked at you know the hard drive on this machine, for instance, was about um, half a meter diameter and held uh, about three three k bytes. And was a whole Jeez. act to actually start it up. I mean, the whole process to of starting it up. So, uh, you know, it's just really very difficult for somebody who was there at the beginning to <laughs> grasp how far we've come. And it's one of the most amazing developments in human history. Um, where do you think the Industrial Revolution, which, you know, started 200, 300 years ago and is still actually going on around the world because as yep. com- countries come on board and go through the textiles phase and then the industrial phase and so on. This great change started in a human lifetime really 70 years ago. That was really when the first digital, the digital age really started and that's within a human lifetime and it's changed so much. What look at the pop, the percentage of the world's population that is actually does have a digital device, a smartphone? It's it's really a, quite a high percentage, and all that's happened in this time. It really is the most extraordinary. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask you a completely unfair question, but where do you think computers will be in seventy years from now? Um, that they always say that predictions, you know, every prediction has been wrong in this area, including the fellow who predicted we'd only need about half a dozen computers in the whole world. Um, <laughs> and he was the head of IBM. Um, um, I Look, I think one can look at the trends and the trends of these, when, when we first saw the first mini, uh, microprocessor, I remember at a, at a lecture, a seminar, saying the computer's going to become invisible. From that, in the past, mm. computers have been a big visible thing. Now it's invisible. It's going to be in your washing machine. It's going to be in your car. And that's what happens. So computers, in a way, are embedded in just about everything. And uh, they become everything has become portable, compact, convenient. And I think that trend will, you know, will continue. In other words, computers will be not just like a, a be an aspect of other things as they're already talking about that your you know your fridge you can get a fridge which has got a computer in it and I just think it's um, it will become accepted and no longer we even think of them as computers they'll just be part of something else so part, yeah. part, part of uh, 
you know, uh, every item that we use will have some digital involvement. Well, if you want to see where it all began, you should get yourself down to ScienceWorks, where CIRAC is now a permanent installation. It's now featured as part of a new exhibition, which is called Think Ahead, and it's on at the moment. We've been talking to one of the people who worked with CIRAC back in the day, Dr. Peter Thorne. Thanks so much for coming in. You're very welcome. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. 